Hi, this is Paul Siegel, and you're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. everyone welcome to wandering dms i'm paul and i'm dan and on this very special episode of wandering dms we do have a very special guest writer and editor mr tim cask and just in case you're 12 years old and you don't know who that is uh he edited all of the original DD supplements after the first one he was the founding editor of dragon magazine he's written for gygax magazine more recently he's he's pr- a prominent convention dm He's a YouTuber with his famous curmudgeon in the cellar series, which we love. And he just he just got off taping, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, so, uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, this Sunday. My pleasure. <laughs> I can ruin another other people's Sunday now. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so we our our viewers were so excited to hear that you you were going to be on the show, and they had a bunch of questions. So I figured <laughs> I I'd just jump so into. Up, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then I didn't show up. <laughs> Coming in for the second week, my apologies. Uh, Those of you who are married will know <laughs> what happened. <laughs> Honey, will you help me with this? And that went down the rabbit hole, and two and a half hours later, I go, oh, I was supposed to do a thing. Oh, <laughs> so I apologize if you came last week and I were crushed. I've been telling people that we're hardcore and we still use the loss in the wilderness rules and at some point you got to expect you're going to miss one of those. So I figured I figured that's that's in the in the in the ballpark for what we're going to what we're going to do. <laughs> no, no, no. All right, Tim, let me let I've me ask this. So, so I've been married 51 years. Uh, I, I respond to honeydews. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm programmed, you know, Excellent. like Excellent. Probably, dog. Yeah, yeah. Probably <laughs> indicates high wisdom. <laughs> from, I'm going to go with. <laughs> well, it's got a hell of a constitution. That long. So we uh, we so we've always enjoyed seeing you at you know conventions, running games, and 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 one question that we we wanted to get out there is what we usually ask everybody this: what edition of of the D and D rules do you use? Do you still use original D and D, or do you use anything after that? Well. I'm 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 a fly in amber, right between the end of D and D and the beginning of AD and D, because I was also involved, you know, in formulating and putting that together. So I'm right there at the end of D and D, where it was just real loosey goosey, play it as it falls. Um, it's you know the, the rules as as written are a joke. I see them as guidelines, and I and and the people that play in my games know that. Okay, screw your hat on, we're going. Um, it, it's I felt it was the most freewheeling uh, period where the DM could absolutely craft his world, mm-hmm. and it works how you say. For instance, in my world, magic doesn't always work the same. There are areas where all the mana has been drained out and things fizzle. And there's places where the mana has built up and um, a, a fireball becomes a nuclear weapon. 
because it expands eight times, you know, or whatever. Or the light spell becomes a, a, a spotlight, you know, it overreacts. So I do that just to make it more interesting. Stuff doesn't always work the way you think it will. Well, that's life. And it certainly ought to be fiction. I like that. I like that. Do you think so? We had like a question from uh, someone named Ample Framework on the the OD and D seventy four boards. It was that. Do, do you think that's the primary distinction between original D and D and what we call first edition now? Is that yeah, the flexibility first, of it like that? Well, first edition was made to be RAW. It hmm. was made to be the set of the set of rules and, and you gotta remember the, the context of when these this was going on. Uh A D and D was or O D and D was successful, it was spinning off in thirty seven different directions, and one of the big money makers for TSR in those first couple of three years of D and D were the tournaments that we ran at various conventions. The G series modules were designed to be the structured test in three stages, just as AD&D was to be, okay, tournaments are going to be AD&D, this is the way it's going to work. But even in the front of, of AD&D, we were still telling people these are suggestions, are not just open stone, have fun with it. We've always spoken out of both sides of our mouths. Yeah. You know, okay, if you've got to have a framework, here it is. You don't think we need a framework, so here we're going to go on this side and we're going to freewheel and ad lib. Um, you can only ad lib so much. That's one of the things I beat on in, on my uh, web uh, videos is that um, it's got to be by the consensus of the group. Hmm. And, and if the group is happy with the way you run things and the way you interpret things, success. Yeah. Rules, written, rules as written are really, in my opinion, only valuable if you're going to be competing. Let me let me ask you about that, Tim. You were you were saying that um, the tournaments were driving revenue. I'm curious, like, was it the tournaments themselves that were generating revenue, or they were they were creating sales because you were selling the modules that you were running? All right, let me give you a, a yeah. sample of when we brought out we brought out the G series, the very first produced module we did. Up to that point, we were I was for the most part signing off on judges killed stuff just making sure it didn't break canon mm -hmm. and um we did this for them i believe it was the metro detroit gaming convention metro detroit is how we used to refer to it we had over 400 people signed up for the D, &D tournament mm -hmm. If they came in a group, we kept the group together. Otherwise, it was just next eight or seven or however many. Your group, your group, your group, your group. Hmm. Those those people were paying, I believe, three or four dollars just to play in that game to us. Right, right, okay. So you know, there's there's twelve, sixteen hundred bucks right there, and in the context of when that was. That would be six times that today, counting for inflation. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. You know, yeah. so now all of a sudden you're looking at eight, you know, in today's money, that's $8,000 in revenue just for that tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. And, you know, we sold and 
we marketed that so that the first one came out after the first round was done. Mm -hmm. The second one came out after the second round was done because we had morning and afternoon sessions because of the numbers. The third one was put on sale when the last round had started and we sold every copy of all three of them. We, we, we had only taken that, we printed that many to get the price. So we, you know, we probably, we thought maybe we'd sell 250, 300 of them, but we had to print like five or 600 each to get the price break. And so we just threw the boxes in the van and went and we sold every one. Amazing. Wow. Wow. So, you know, yeah, that that was a double (laughs) revenue stream. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, I've seen... you pay, now yeah. if you pay money to pay to, you know, to buy a ticket to play in a game, the, the producers don't get it. Yeah. It's not theirs. It goes to the con, right. which you know, right. is fine. I have no problem with that. Right. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought of the difference. I, I didn't know that was actually a thing that money just went directly to the uh, the people running <laughs> convention Back games. Then at one point. Yeah. Oh, Back then it did. Yeah. Huh. And you know, yeah, I've seen I mean, some we, people. We made boatloads of money doing that. That's 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 incredible. I've seen some people, you know, some some old schoolers, you know, criticize the idea of of publishing modules. And of course, you're talking about the against the Giants series, which is you know my personal favorite, of course. And not you know not to pick a fight, but I've seen like Rob Kuntz, and he's a great guy. But I've seen him really you know criticize the idea of. You know, the essence of original D&D is pure, you know, DM creativity and the idea of using somebody else's script is borderline offensive. Do you is, is that a, is that a possible concern at all or do you do you not not share that at all? <clears throat> well, I, I, under, I, I understand what Rob's saying. Um, but let's face it, we can't all be purists anymore. <laughs> we tried. We tried to keep the game pure. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. You know, no, you can't add this. Uh, oh, let's stay away from that. Like when the, the East Coast got into sex changing and, and against your will and stuff like this. Oh, no, no, no. We don't need that. We're already dealing with Satanism. You know, <laughs> we don't. We don't need to go there. Um, so we were shepherding the game during its period of growth, trying to. However, hubristically, how much hubris that was, I don't know. But we felt that we knew what the game was capable of, what it should be, what it could be. And so we encouraged Judges Guild to put out what they did because we realized that not everybody that wants to play necessarily has the skills to create, especially back in the earliest days, it would take people seeing somebody else's go, oh, hell, I can do better than that. And then, you know, you would drive, you would drive improvement in that fashion. But we put them out there, just like the stuff we put in the supplements. Hey, here's a bunch of stuff to put in as you'd like or not. Here it is. Use parts of it. Part, steal all of it. You know, make them into fairy queens and not frash giants. You know, we didn't care. We were trying to help people exercise their imaginations and their creativity by showing them examples, just like Appendix N. Appendix N is, hey, if you want a a background in what this is about, 
pick a half dozen books at random off Appendix N, read them, and you'll get a good idea of the mindset that went into the creation of this game, the, the, the condition of the soil when Gary and Dave threw the seeds out. Hmm. I like that. You know, some of our some of our viewers have mentioned, you know, the game, uh, you know, changes like in the modern era largely dependent on what the background uh, source literature that the players are familiar with. So I've had we've had people say, well, my kids are way more into anime or this and that. And therefore, their their D&D games reflect that. Um, and, you know, I have a big library of pulp literature that I'm always going back to. And I, I see why that's it's so essential to what somebody's expectation for the for the role playing game is. I totally see that. Well, and, and role playing is role playing is role playing. Um, Dave, uh, uh, Mike Pond Smith and I and a couple of other people, um, we did an online game of this. I can't remember the name. It was a new new release, and it was for girls to to role play. I, you know, so we were all playing princesses. You think that wasn't a hoot? With with the uh, you know us four old farts, and we're princesses, and, and we're we, you know, and it was just all live on you know, and, and we had a ball. And I got to tell you, it really stretched my my role playing muscles to. <laughs> start asking questions that might get positive answers because they sounded like they were coming from a, a preteen <laughs> principal as opposed to the logical <laughs> reasoned arguments that I was making because I wasn't playing the role. Um, we, we had a, oh God, we had fun with that. We all, we all got to have our own pet familiars and we all had flying unicorns and oh Jesus, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and it's, if my granddaughters at some point in time want to get introduced to something like that, I'll get a copy of it, and we'll all be princesses. You got is, there any chance that, is there any the chance that was the excellence game? Because that's the one that comes to mind where everybody's a princess all the time. Was there, yeah, I think that, that, that might have been it. It was, it was relatively new or it had just, okay. with either just going to Kickstarter or it just come yeah. off. or you know, It was real new, and so we were going to demo it. And the, the, gotcha. the ludicrous part was it would have all these all these old bald farts playing princesses. princesses. That's great. And it worked. You know, we had a good if, time. If it, if it was the excellence, I'll say that we had the designer, Adrian Wilson, on last season, actually. So people yeah, could go look that, at uh, Wandering the Ems season yeah. two. There you go. Adrian and we had, a, we had a great chat with Adriel. Oh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can, you can. Uh, I'm sure you can find our back catalog, our, our interview. You got to get a hold of the people that made Mouse Guard. Mm, I, we would like I, to. I, I think that's the most underrated, overlooked introduction to role playing that's ever been done. It's not about killing. It's not about stealing. But it's very much role playing mm -hmm. on a level that younger kids ought to just eat up. But it's you know it's it it, it teaches it it, it has. A lot of the understood values that older kids are playing with of chivalry and knightliness and doing good and all that. Well, this is just following your true self. So it's also about personality development. Um, yeah, it, it's oh, you should look in. Please look into it and get a couple of the you know find somebody who's got a couple of the Mouse Guard comics. Uh, mm -hmm. They're 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 collected. They're they're quite good. Uh, Tales of the Redwood, I think it's called. 
but that is a that's a a beautiful system that because of its simplicity got poo pooed. Interesting. That is Unless that is high pra- high praise for Mouse Guard from Tim Cask. That is <laughs> that is <laughs> that is high praise to earn. Well, Tim, you're yeah. you're no stranger to uh, RPGs where the players are 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 uh, anthropomorphic mice. I seem to recall having having played one uh, by yeah, you. Yeah, I think I you ran the mice one time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. Um, I, I'm, I, you know, I, I've been known to do that in the te- on the wheel of blame, you know, uh, change people into something else for that encounter. Um, you know, let's I, let's dig into that actually, because uh, we were we were just talking about the the over under of of using printed material, right? And and wheel of blame is a game you're I've seen you run at countless conventions now, which is entirely improvised, correct? Yeah, the 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 basic rules that you can hang your hat on, so to speak. Yeah, it'll work like D&D, roll dice, hit things, take hit points, give hit points. That's the same. But the plot is different. It's the ultimate railroad because you are on a big giant, inside a big giant wheel, trekking along through these encounters. Every party member has to find a token uh, during the course of this. And, And I just before the pandemic, I had 400 of these printed up. And only uh, only people in in uh, uh, Boston at TotalCon got them. It's a little. Uh, it's, I had these. Uh, I didn't print them. I had them cast. Uh, Iron Wind did the sculpting for me. Jim Jim Wampler drew the picture of me, and then the front says, "In Tim we trust," and on the back it says, "It's not my fault." And you have to have a, it's not my fault to get off the wheel. So, you know, and it's not nearly as bloodthirsty as I used to be. There's still lots of people dying, but they have these magic potions that brings them back to life uh, called the Universal Antidote. So um, it'll put heads back on necks and arms back on torsos. <laughs> you know, it, it's just there for more fun on the con. Just for our, um, for our viewers who don't, who, don't, who don't know it, now that, that game starts out right with you asking players to submit an idea. Everybody gives me a, 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 a note card. I give out note cards and say, put two things on there. I've had things like um, Red Dragon. One of the cards in the very first time I ran this, I did it locally at a, at a local con. They put on a pickle and a Red Dragon. So in the course of the adventure, off in the distance, they saw um, an enormous, had to be a, a, like a banana or something, on the very peak of these granite spikes. And around it was flying. Well, as they got there, they found out the dragon only had an eight-foot wingspan. It was kind of like a juvenile or whatever. But uh, top of that mountain was a pickle the size of the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. <laughs> you see, that's where I will metagame when I can get a laugh. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, I'm going to play on, right? Yeah, yeah. And so during the course of this, um, and it was so wonderful because it's the very first play test. And I did have a woman, uh, um, a woman about, I don't know, uh, if she's watching, I won't guess her age. <laughs> uh, anyway, I had, I had a woman, not a girl, playing in the game, and she kept trying to take it adult, which is okay. okay. When I'm playing with adults, well, you know, we can do double entendre and a little leering, you know, whatever. And when I'm playing with all adults, I tell them at the beginning of the game, if we go anywhere that's uncomfortable, just raise your hand and I'll take a right turn. Excellent, excellent. You know, I, because yep. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. 
Yep. But um, they they couldn't find the token. They couldn't find the token. And so finally she says to me with this big leer on her face, I'm going to go up and I'm going to lick that pickle. <laughs> <laughs> I was dumbfounded. I had not, I had not prepared for that. So I said, yeah, okay. And I rolled a 20 cider. Uh, yeah. And I got like a 17. I said, well, here, here at all your hit points. <laughs> And so one of the other guys, I'm going to go up and lick the pickle. And so I rolled like a seven, and it carried half his. So the third guy jumps, I'm going to go and lick the pickle. And um, <laughs> I tell him nothing happened. I said he probably needs to come back in a couple hours and try and uh, see if it's regained any of its stamina by that point. <laughs> well, the table erupted. The lady at the table, she, she just bent over laughing. And, and we disrupted the other 20 tables around us because we we're in this uh -huh. big hall, sitting literally right in the middle. And so the whole table cracked up. And I, I immediately knew which card was hers because it had a vixen, a vixens, and a portal to another dimension. So I gave them the standard, okay, go through the armoire, and where they were immediately attacked by 138 rabid undead female foxes. <laughs> and when she looked at me when I when I announced what had attacked him, that's where I knew it was her card. Because the look she gave me was half I'll kill you where you sit and wow, how did you do that? <laughs> so yeah, that's the kind of game it is. We're gonna have fun, but who says it, it who says that RPGing has to be somber and solemn all the time? Mm. Especially at the cons. People used to come to my games to see how memorably I would kill them. So they could go home to their group. Oh, man, it was so gruesome. Ah. Well, that was fun for them to die in a Tim Cass game. Yep. I never quite understood that, but I, I recognize that it exists. So here, let's just have fun and without the uh, mortality rate. You know, so I had so I'm glad you brought I, that up, actually, I, because I, I'm glad you brought that up because early... Uh, so when I when I started promoting that you're going to be on our show, actually, um, someone online, uh, the first thing they said was, oh, my God, Tim Caskey's more fearsome than a room full of beholders, is what the guy said. Um, <laughs> so what uh, when did you transition away from that? And what Man. what what feedback cancer. did you get to cause that? Oh, OK. Cancer. OK. When I was diagnosed with cancer. Okay. And uh, I had uh, I had uh, almost seven months of chemotherapy, and um, I decided, well, okay, I I have the undisputed title of all time TPK king, because at one point over a three year period, I was TPKing like eighty five percent of the groups that played, and I said, okay, let's go for fun. And I'd been watching Frank Menser do what he did, and. Um, I'll admit that I, I got the idea from what Frank does. Uh, I do mine a little differently. Mine don't last seven hours. Um, <laughs> generally, generally, once a game gets going, because the first encounter, any game, the first encounter always takes stupid amounts of time. Because hmm. everybody's finding their, you know, getting their feet wet and finding, you know, and, okay. But it generally, if it's a seven-player game, it's usually over in about three and a half, three and three quarters of, of an hour. And if it's a four-player game, it's generally over in about two, two and a half. Okay. And you know, that's yeah. the, my parameters: a minimum of four, maximum of seven. 
because it's going to take roughly a half hour average on each of those encounters. And so, you know, I don't want to short shrift any of them mm-hmm. because, hey, somebody, I hope, thought long and hard when they put those two things down there. Um, the, the repeaters, and I've had quite a few repeaters play, they just keep coming up with more exotic and weird stuff. And uh, I, I love the challenge. Um, I, I collect the cards. I say, okay, last last break, you know, pit stop, whatever, give me five minutes. Five minutes later, we start the game. That's, I that's just great. go through the cards, and my mind starts. You know, actually, when I'm collecting the cards, my mind starts working. Yeah. I look at the card and go, oh, you know, Oh, and then I got to decide. Okay, where do I start? Where do I end? And how do I work them in the middle? And it's so we should probably just, tell our viewers right that so the the cards that you're getting are, are ideas at the outset from your players, and you're basically improvising things. the construction, right? A, a bicycle and a ball, uh, a pickle and a dragon, uh, <laughs> a, 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 a portal to another dimension, and vixens. Um, I probably got some laying around here. I just shredded some. Uh, too bad. Um, you know, I shredded them. But um, I, I can't tell you how many deck of many things I've, I get. And so that's one of the few favorite props that I will take with to cons because somebody's bound to give it to me over the weekend. So I have Great. it. And just Great. because you think the deck of things works this way, no, my deck of things uh, many things works this way because I bought it on I bought it on a Kickstarter uh, probably twenty years ago for the art. <laughs> it's just beautiful. <laughs> you know, it's awesome. a whole bunch of beautiful illustrations. So I I bought it for the art, and now I use it. Um, and uh, I get I get a lot of repeats. People you know uh, want to give me beholders. Okay, give me a boule. Okay, doesn't mean the beholder full size. Doesn't mean it works the way the book says. Uh, I want miss. I was in total uh, total confusion one year, and and P- Pete wrote me into playing some trivia game on that broadcast thing that they do during the con, and I got beholder wrong because he wanted to know what's in the center eye. Well, we never played that it. it was rigid. The center eye on that beholder was whatever we wanted it to be. Mm. So I missed the question. Boo! Got you know. I had to leave the stage and. I told him, I said, well, damn it, you know, you're not playing by my rules. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in my world, that's the center eye. You know? So uh, I've always been a loose interpretation. Um, you know, the only reason I graded the boule was to eat dwarven ponies. Uh, eat right. that mu- <laughs> okay, go, going back to that, how we tried to guide the game. Yeah. All right. How we somehow out into the gaming public there crept the idea the dwarves had raised special ponies to work underground okay because you know the english had them you know they did it in wales mm-hmm. so uh and so dwarven ponies became the rage everybody wanted a dwarven pony and so pretty soon the whole D multiverse was overrun with herds of dwarven ponies so I created the lady because it likes dwarven ponies and it eats and it hunts them down. <laughs> so, you know, checks and balances, checks and balances. That's great. That's so a lot of what I, we did, too, in yeah. those early days when we tried to provide checks and balances. You know, if it was a good idea and we thought we might someday, you know, let it go or be adopted, we all, I always create a, any monster I create, any situation I create, there's always an out. The monster's got a weak spot. There's there's an out in in the in the in the confrontation, 
It's always there. You might not find it, but it's always there. Because it's stupid to create an encounter that the players cannot survive. That's dumb. And it's just me That's feeding nice. my ego, showing you a new way I can kill you. What's what, you know, that makes sense. You know, so I'm going to take I'm going to take the opportunity here. My heart's pounding a little bit fast at, <laughs> at, the, at the next question I'm going to ask. But here it comes. So you're mentioning your very famous uh, land shark uh, monster, uh, yeah. which t designed to consume the, the dwarven ponies. And part of and perfect, good. I good. I support that. Hundred percent. And so, of course, it's it's it's, it's spelled uh, B U L E T T E. And, and okay, so I'm just going to question. So so it's a right. So so you pronounce it a particular way, and that's a funny joke, right? It's a funny joke, uh, uh, riffing on uh, our, our our brothers and sisters in France. But mm -hmm. we we agree that's not actually how French speakers would pronounce it. Am I right? It doesn't matter because that is in the la the language of my world. <laughs> oh no, Pandarian! It's my language and my world, and it's a goddamn boulet. <laughs> and I don't care who call it poet. If it's playing right, it's still going to eat you, and now you're going to be bullet poop instead of bullet poop. Okay, what's the difference? You're poop. Oh, dear. Or your favorite horse is poop. You know? Yeah, it was a, it was a sock at the French. Uh, it was a sock at hoity-toity. You know, um, women, fancy women didn't go to the toilet. They, they, they did their toilet. You know? Okay, here you go. Here's a boulette for you. And, you, know, now, you know, it's designed to be a horrible outdoors monster. I chose the boulet in its shape because it was the last of the little plastic monsters that hadn't already been uh, statted. And it had been called the bullet in the Greyhawk campaign because it was this thing about the size of a medium-sized dog that would just run like hell. Down the down the hallway and knock everybody over. Hmm. So it was the bullet francophiled into Bouglet. <laughs> so I was keeping I was keeping the the um, the history of that creature in Greyhawk, taking the name of Bullet, which was rather unimaginative. They'd only I think Gary had only used it twice. And um, um, just Frenchified it a little bit. And at the is, time, um, we didn't like to gall very much in this country. So, is there a, is there a published work that that the earlier version appears in that the small, fast moving bullet, or is that no. just something that no, it's just in the no, just it's just something tables. that happened in the Greyhawk campaign a couple gotcha. of times. Gotcha. I went to Gary. I had to make a. I had to create a monster because I, I we were going to start a month later. Hmm. And I had a half-page ad got mangled in the physical mail back then when we had to use snail mail. The separations and the negatives were mangled, so I had a half I had a half a page three days before press. Oh no! With a hole in it. <laughs> yeah. So I went to Gary. I said, um, "I'm I'm going to start um, the uh, creature features a, a month early." He goes, "I don't care." Yeah, I'm gonna, you know, because and I told him why. I said. Which of these, because he had a bunch of them on the desk, which of these hasn't been statted out? He goes, this one. It's just, I had to run down the hall a couple of times and knock a bunch of people over like a bowling ball. We called it, the, <laughs> they called it the bullet. 
I said, okay, thank you. I took it home. <laughs> and the rest is history. That's great. You know, it's funny because just this morning on uh, Twitter, someone actually asked, where did these weird, weird oddball D&D uh, monsters come from? And our friend uh, Jonathan Tweet actually posted a picture of the toy that became the boulet. I wish we'd prepped it actually for the show today, but uh, well, I mean, there's the Russ, the, there was the Russ monster and um, Umber Hulk. Yeah. And I probably won't remember them all, but yeah, they all, they, and, and are you familiar with the uncle John's readers? They're trying to bathroom reading. Oh God, you should. I'm not in okay. the new one in 29 <laughs> in the new one in 2019. I even got name dropped in it. Because it was talking about Gary creating monsters from a bag of plastic toys that we had. And so they name dropped me as having being the quote that that's how Gary created them. It was the very first page about creativity. And I just, Great. wow, I'm in Uncle John's reader. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, to me, that was pretty cool. That's awesome. I had a but yeah, you know we so we we had um, some of our um, there you go Dan. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All, okay. Once again, I don't know how um, he does the it. Umber Hulk, <laughs> let's see, the Umber Hulk, the Rust Monster, um, so the, the brown one right those, in the front, right? Is yeah, the a couple of these were not in the original. They were not in the original set. They were in later recastings. Uh, that green thing in the back that looks like it's a turtle with an um, armadillo head. That wasn't in the original bag. I believe the flyer was, and I'm not sure that the two, the red and yellow one on the right were there uh, in there. Uh, and there's the owl bear, right? The owl bear came out of that set too. Oh yeah, yeah. These right, the right. big yellow thing in the front, yeah. Um, and and it was just a bag of weird stuff that came out of Hong Kong. And and I I, God, 45 years later, I still find myself doing the same thing, picking up odd stuff. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> the green boat goes up. Boom is around the corner. Uh, I still pick up weird props and make them into monsters and stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just, you know, I, some people whittle. <laughs> I look for weird toys in, in, the, in the dollar store and see what I can do with them. Uh, that's great. Fantastic. So we let me let me transition just a little bit because we had some some people wanting to know about your work as an editor. So obviously you were the the official editor for all the original D and D supplements after Greyhawk, and you edited Dragon Magazine for the first three years or something like that. I guess. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm responsible for thirty three whole issues. The next three had big chunks already, and the three after that had pro, had uh, content earmarked. When I left. So, you know, I can only take a certain, you know, after 33, my influence is still felt for about six issues and then it's, it's no longer there. Um, gotcha. So, so our friend Angela Black on, on Facebook asked on that point, like when you were brought on board for the very first time and said, Tim's going to be editing, what, what kind of mandate were you given? Was it like specific goals to improve stuff or were just like, Tim's a good guy and we're glad he's here? Or what was, oh, no. what was the oh, initial no. intent? I, I was hired because I told Gary the editing was sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I told him that the original three books were a nightmare. That unless you're, because <clears throat> I finally won an argument a little while ago. <laughs> there is an actual game there. 
if you come from the viewpoint of being a miniatures player, there is an actual game there. It's not just a toolbox. If you don't have background in miniatures, yes, it is a toolbox that is terribly confusing. Even with a miniatures background, it's terribly mm -hmm. confusing. It took me three weeks before I was ready to run the game for my group. Three weeks. And that was just getting through the rules and working up the first couple of levels of the dungeon. And we played for a few sessions, scrapped it, and started all over again when I got Greyhawk. Because I didn't have it. At first, we played with everything was a D6. And we, we were still having fun, obviously, or I wouldn't spend the money on Greyhawk. But uh, we, we revamped the campaign uh, with Greyhawk and played out the rest of the time I was at college. I got the job because, um, number one, I had the temerity to call Gary Gygax at his home on a Saturday night and talk gaming with a stranger. Um, after I'd gone up to Gen Con the first year, I was only there a day because I didn't know I didn't know how to I didn't know I was going to need a place to stay that I couldn't just you know go find a hotel. Yeah, and after ninety miles, I couldn't. Hmm. Um, well, there weren't a lot of them back up there. This is eighty eighty four or seventy four rather. There weren't a lot of them. And uh, so when we sat down, and he says, "You know, well, we're we're looking to expand." I said, "Well, I hope hope you're going to look to expand in your publishing department." And he says, "You need an editor because." This sucks. <laughs> and there were mistakes, there were mistakes in, in uh, Greyhawk. Just it would have been caught. Mm. You know, uh, there was the infamous spell that went missing in the middle of the table because the table got broken from the bottom. To the, you know, there, there was all kinds of things. And so I, um, at that point, I was uh, still, I could still uh, change and shift around my major a little bit. And it helped that the... Scholastic, or the professor who was our sponsor, who enabled us to get a room every week in the student center, was a history nut. So I went and I presented to the board of trustees at the college a specialized major that allowed me to cross over three different disciplines, photography, journalism, and uh, history. Laid out the courses, took them all, graduated, got my degree, and about six weeks later, moved to Wisconsin and became the editor at TSR. Now I prepped on the promise, you know, that Gary, the understanding Gary and I had that I was going to be the first full-time hire because of the fact that Gary and I shared Appendix N almost down to the book. Hmm. So he knew I was coming from the same mindset and 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 sources that he was. So therefore. The gospel wasn't that foreign to me. I, you know, I knew all the the, the, the languages, uh, and I and my right out telling him he needed an editor. And so, I I even did I even did reads on some important letters that they were sending to other companies or whatever. Brian or Gary would say, "Hey, you know, give this a read, will you?" And I'm and. Right might suggest a word change or point out a mistake, you know, but yeah, you know, I was more of a proofer and a, and a sounding board. And then I didn't do that so much after a while. Um, but then I did Blackmore and Eldritch Wizardry and uh, Thorns and Spells. And I did the development on 1066. And um, I don't know what else I, you know, was, I think the, uh, the de deities and demigods little book oh. too, right? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, I did that one too. That was Coons and Ward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did that one. It's funny, so the we, one that nearly got us banned was Eldritch Wizardry with the woman laying yeah. on the altar. 
Uh, right. That was drawn by a 15-year-old girl. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah I, I, I knew had, it was a woman who'd done it. I didn't know her age. Mom and pop shops were sending them back unopened because of the cover. Huh. They couldn't have that kind of smut in their store. I can see that. I and there were that. no there were no good bits. It was a very <laughs> abstract drawing. There were no good bits. You, you know, yeah. no, nothing that would have made it obscene or lewd. Uh, yeah. But you know, yeah. it, it nearly killed the brand. Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. Hmm. So I have yeah, that I mean that still stands out today as it's pretty it's pretty notable. <laughs> it's impressive it's impressively hardcore. <laughs> well, I chose it. Um, you know, I, I, I had yeah. I had total carte blanche um, yeah. of what I did. Gary never stuck his nose into the dragon. Um, okay. When I got done with the supplement, I'd give him the coffee back so he could make the corrections. And to my knowledge, he never didn't take, you know, the corrections. Uh, not, not that I'm aware of. Um, and um, so, so, that, that, was, so that, have... that was the understanding we had. That's good. That's good. So we have Tim on record now as saying Gary at least occasionally made a couple mistakes. All right. So we have that on record. <laughs> now, you, you mentioned that Blackmore was the first thing you were actually posted as editor on. So can you confirm that in contrast that Dave Arneson never made any mistakes? Because that's what I've told by some people. Is that right? <laughs> well, they must be relatives. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll tell you what I was handed the day I walked into work on one on a Monday morning. I was handed a peach basket. <laughs> they're, about, yeah, they're, they're, they're made out of wood flat. They're about this right. tall, and it was full of scraps of paper. <laughs> Some type. Sometimes. Some <laughs> different handwritings. Different typewriter. <laughs> different paper. Oh, Here, this is Blackmore. <laughs> oh really it, it, it took me a week of sorting the notes trying to figure out which ones pertain to what idea or what concept um dave was horribly upset with me because i intended i put the sahagan in there he he thought that every single thing that was going to be in that book would be his and he didn't give me enough not nearly enough and it, it required extensive editing, what I would call a heavy edit, which involved rewrite <laughs> for comprehension, the time together. There were a lot of great ideas in there. Dave had a lot of great ideas in the concept and the creation of the idea of Dungeons and Dragons. Dave's strong suit was never application and organization. I don't care what mm. You've heard. I worked with him. <laughs> if you don't believe me, find an old copy of the first printing of the first fantasy game. That was Dave's compilation of how D&D should have been, and it was 20 to 30 percent incomprehensible. Full of errors. Full of typos. All right? Um... It was a vanity book. I think the Judges Guild might have put out the very first one. They but did, looking yeah, for it yeah. under that name, the first fantasy game. Find the first edition, first printing, and you'll get a real good idea of how incorrect or mistaken 
those people are telling you otherwise. And some of us have also seen like his draft for like the uh, I guess the, the aerial combat rules were on display at a Gary Con and and like you're saying, some of it's typed and some of it's handwritten. There's a lot of crossouts and things like that. Um, so now, if so, if if you, so, as someone who's edited both <clears throat> Gary and Dave, like if you were forced to like come up with like a like a single like here's the difference, like here's the essential difference between how I'll say Gary and Dave, you know, designed. What was kind of the major difference between those two guys? Well, Dave was conceptualizing ideas. Won't it be great? We'll all be this guy on the board. And that'll be us and, and the ideas. <clears throat> Gary was the framework builder because Gary was so involved in gaming boards and minis. <clears throat> Keep in mind, Gary had a published board game, Alexander the Great. Yeah, no, there's one or two others, I believe, that were put out by smaller houses. <clears throat> so Gary had the the tool set to take an idea and make it into a thing that's playable. To my knowledge, Dave didn't. Dave's contribution was, hey, I got this really great idea and we're doing all this stuff and, and everything. And Gary was like, okay, how do we do it? Well, <laughs> you know, and so Gary says, all right, let me see these great ideas you have. And he, he built it into a system because Gary had previous experience designing combat results tables and, you know, all, and all those necessary, very basic tools to war game design back then. Gary had those. Dave didn't. Dave had a wonderful imagination. Gary also had one. But, you know, Dave did come up with this from Bronstein, from Chainmail, you know. And there's the people say, oh, Chainmail had nothing to do with it. Crap. You know, uh, that, that's not true either. Maybe not to the extent some people think. But it, they, these, these are all the elements boiling around in the stew in the Midwest during that period of time. Midwest was an enormous hotbed of designers. And you know, game game writers, if you will, and um, the, they stemmed from the clubs that stayed active during the '60s in the Midwest. You know, Len Lakofka down in Chicago, Gary in Lake Geneva, other people up in Minnesota. You know, Dave and his and Dave McGarry and some of his friends, Mike Carr. And so these clubs were very active. They corresponded, and they all had their their strong suits. Yeah, I mean, you know, look at Mike came came out with a brilliant design that, in my opinion, has never been bettered. And he was still in high school, yep. fighting the skies. Yep. He developed in high school. Yep. You have to be in a creative environment for a sixteen-year-old to flourish like that. Yeah, that's great. You know, like a couple of weeks back, we were talking to Janelle Jaquez, um, you know, who was at Judges Guild in the exactly the time that you were kind of approving stuff like that. I bought, and I, bought Janelle's thing, right? first, I bought Janelle's very first commercial sale. Her right. very first, her right. very, the very first piece she sold, I bought. Yep. I believe I used it in a uh, strategic review. Nice. So yep. Janelle and yep. I go back a long way. And like 16 or 17 at the time, likewise, right? Something like that? I, I don't know. Uh, this uh, When I was dealing with... Uh, um, now, Janelle, 
than Paul. All I knew was this person that I was writing letters back and forth to that was sending me these neat pictures. Right. So um, I have no idea how old. You'd have to see how old is Janelle today and subtract back when. <laughs> you know, back to I, I think she five. told us she was yeah. 17 at the time is what, what she told us well two be, weeks, three weeks, three weeks back. Would have been 1970. Yeah. Well, 76 is when Dragon came out. Um, it might have been late 75 when I did, yeah. if that's when I used it in a strategic review. I think so. I think so. You know, the other thing we should point out is that we, we you know, we've had a, a number of um, prestigious, you know, anniversaries that we just got packed. So it was just one week ago that uh, Arneson started his first Blackmore game uh, was a, the 50th anniversary we just had in the last week. And um, if, if we look in the, uh, the the fanzine he was writing to advertise it, it totally said, I'm going to have a Bronstein game with some fantasy elements at my place next Saturday or whatever it was. Um, and it was just a couple weeks before that that it was the 50th anniversary of Chainmail, as a matter of fact. Um, how, like, do you, when you're running, when you're running, on that point, when you're running original D&D, do you ever look at Chainmail for that? Because obviously we know there's a whole bunch of references all through Don't original d and saying my... you got to look at Chainmail. If you don't understand how to do a more than six six people game chainmail's handy for moving troops figuring out um relative distance in it what is a turn all right the, all the distances in first or, or in o d and d are all based on how far you see in chainmail yep. so yeah it was frequently referred to as if you're ha you know it was kind of like if you're having trouble with grasping these distances and, and whatever Look at Chainmail. Again, look on the very front of the very first books, Rules for Miniatures Player. The very first books. <laughs> no, yeah. If somebody doesn't know that, right? Yeah. 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 Paper. Well, I don't even know if it had paper and pencil on the brown box. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sorry it about does. that. It does Catching right there, the yeah. Well, that's the white I guess box. The, that's the white. You're right. Yep. Good point. Good point. Yes, if you're a collector, there's about three thousand dollars difference there. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I'm told. <laughs> or more. Or more. Yeah. Also, the, yeah. the cat pee doesn't help with this either. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't have any of them. I stole one my books years ago, so you know, I don't. I don't have any. I, th there are things I accumulate, but D and D books isn't one of them. Understood. Well, I will I say that. Have, I mean, there is there's, I have there's all a the better way. Yeah, I mean, I will say there's a better way for those to be published, namely, if you get all of the little brown books in one slim compiled volume in one place, it's really the best way to do this. I don't know if that's ever occurred to you. Or if you have somebody yeah. give you every one of the little books. Oh, oh, oh all right, okay. All right. Published okay. in one book. Yeah. yeah. I understand right. the concept. Uh, okay. So right. I don't need to get on it. But I have I accept a that. monster manual that I use for reference for hit points and stuff, and I just sacrificed it to Lloyd Metcalf so he could cut the fabric cover off and make things oh, wow. okay. uh, with monsters off the cover. Um, I, I gave it to him to use. He's doing some amazing um, uh, Lloyd Metcalf Fail Squad games. He's doing some really neat stuff with uh, uh, wood and uh, 
tying DMT. He's making dice rolling trays that have a piece of an, of an actual one of the actual books underneath the uh, the um, you know, the stuff he puts on the top. <laughs> yeah, that hearts. I can't, I'm blanking it up for a minute. The acrylic or whatever he lays down. So I said, hey, I got a book that's all trashed out on the inside. I can read it, but it's not worth anything. Why don't you cut the cover up? So he did. Nice, nice. So, yeah, he's you he know was, he needs a bunch of dental work and stuff. So <laughs> I told him you can you can sell a few of these and get your new teeth. I'm all about that. I mean, I know I have all I had to have all my teeth taken out while I was at TSR all at once. That's so I understand dental rough. problems. That's rough. You know, before we start to get close to running out of time, and Paul cracks the whip <laughs> on us. Um, uh, we had the, yeah, there's a couple of questions. You know, there's so there's a couple of questions about like like authorship that still kind of kind of are hanging today, and um, like like uh, our friend uh, Peter Bearden on Facebook asked a couple of these. So I'm gonna I'm gonna run them by you, and if you if you don't know, just go ahead go ahead and say I just I don't know about that. That's fine. But some of us are still wondering, we, we know that like the original chain mail rules, like they were in now, I've, they were in the Domesday book and they were, you know, partly, you know, brought up by Jeff Pear and stuff like that. Do you know who wrote the man to man rules that got added to that when it was published? Um, I would say probably Gary, because I've been told by family members that Jeff was not real happy to find the fantasy supplement crammed into the back. Jeff was more of a purist at the time. Hmm. So I'm, I'm based on that and based on who's told me that. And yeah, obviously I can't ask either one. Um, I would say that, that that's probably Gary because uh, in conversations that he, he and I had at, at later dates, um, you know, he talked about what he'd been developing and he and I, um, shared a lot of weirdness as children. Um, we were both in the sandbox too long because we were making war games with plastic soldiers. <laughs> and it was only years later that I read, uh, HG Wells' uh, Little Wars and found out that, hey, I wasn't weird after all. <laughs> not that weird anyway. But uh, yeah, that, that would have been Gary. Next question. Authorship. Um. Now, so in uh, in Gary's uh, Greyhawk Supplement One, you didn't edit it, but there is there's a rule that we were talking about recently, and some of us love this rule, and some of us do not. Is the weapons versus AC modifiers of like I've got a mace versus plate mail, or I've got a halberd versus chain mail, and Gary there's a little bit of question that. about yeah. Gary did that to uh, answer a clamor in the amateur press yeah. of saying, "Hey, it." It, you know, it's not all. It's remember it was first. It was everything did D sixes were the damage. Then we went to variable damage. Well, the the SCA people, the SCA people, and and like minded, they wanted more grit. Okay, they were the they were the uh, bolt bolt counters that you hear about from the armor freaks. You know, the tank guys. They all oh, doesn't have the right number of bolts on the glasses. And so that was that was a okay. Here, you can have it. 
then that was one of the many pieces that was all gathered back together into a it was gary couldn't think of everything at the beginning no no one person can when when something takes off like that i i don't blame anybody for not thinking of something because the game was playable with six siders players wanted more detail players wanted their super swift um Sinbad the Sailor Sword to do more than my Roman Gradius would do. You know, and Gary said, okay, here, complicate it. Go right ahead. Because there's a there's a credit, right? There's a credit at the front of Greyhawk to a guy named Jeff Key. And I don't know who the heck Jeff Key was. Jeff and K? so I guess there's an outstanding question. Yeah, K, I guess. K, K E no, is what it's no, no, Jeff Key. I don't I never met Jeff Key. Okay. He might have been somebody that Gary corresponded with. Okay. Um, um, through one of the game clubs, whatever. But I don't, I, to my knowledge, I never met Jeff Key. Gotcha. Gotcha. Makes sense. I got one other question, and that is, and this was like a debate that we had, I don't know, a month or two back. Uh, the, the, the AD and D yeah, books. I to answer a debate. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can get this. So the, the AD and D books are unique in that the combat tables aren't in the player's book, right? Put the put the combat matrices in the dungeon master's guide, and that's not where it is in original D and D, and that's not where it is in basic, and that's not where it is in any later edition of D and D. So why did first edition uniquely put the combat matrices in the in the DM's guide? Not trying to avoid answering. <laughs> we do not have enough. There's simply not enough time. I, I, your pre, your preset. Limit to understand <laughs> that I would have to seriously, I would have to explain the whole powwows, all the powwows that went on in deciding how we were going to do AD and D. Mm. Wow, the marketing decisions that we made. Interesting. Now remaining two minutes. I'm, I'm not trying to avoid it. Have me on again sometime when your other guy squirrels out on you. And, and like I did last week, and I'd be glad <laughs> to get into that in detail. I really, I truly would. Fascinating. But it it, it all could... it involves and it involves the evolving game system and the market that okay. not only drove it but sucked it dry. Okay. Awesome. Well, if you're going to twist our arm like that, then I will. I will concede. Uh, I will begrudgingly <laughs> concede and accept having Tim back on the show at a later date. That is all right. Okay. I will. <laughs> and I'll try real hard to make it that on time that time, and then at least I'll be batting six sixty six. That'll be awesome. great. We will look forward to that very so much. Actually, awesome. That'd be awesome. Uh, viewers, yeah. if you have any burning questions for the next time we have Tim on the show, <laughs> leave them in the comments of this video. <laughs> Uh, we will we will try to get to them, uh, but of course, obviously, we desperately want to hear the story first of how the combat matrices ended up in the DMG. Uh, or you know, do yourself a favor. Also, visit the link in the description of the video uh, and visit Tim's YouTube channel uh, and watch some of his uh, curmudgeon in the cellar episodes. I'm sure you'll get a lot more detail about quite a lot of things. Um, so check that out most as well. Of them have, most of them have very lengthy descriptions of what each one's about. So. Great. You, there might be something you just want to blow right past. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm not awesome. getting advertising, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to stick it to Tim and say uh, you should also look for his uh, Wheel of Blame intro video because Tim does 
uh, online DMing for hire nowadays, actually. So you can see what his wheel of blame with the, you know, idea index cards is like. And uh, I think that we, we're all looking forward to seeing Tim and all of us back in uh, live at conventions later this year, like at Game Hole and Game Hole. next year and stuff like that. Awesome. I'm going to be a Game Hole. And then I hope to be at Total I know I'll be at Total Confusion. So I'll be on the East Coast in February. February. Awesome. 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 Well, that's why well, we will definitely that. be looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we hope to be there as well. So, fantastic. Definitely, definitely. If you are new to the Wandering DM Show, uh, uh, be advised you can like, follow, and subscribe to us on different social media: uh, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and GitHub. Um, and we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites. So please look for us, and you'll get updates on you know other uh, topics and guests and other shows that we do in the future. If you prefer to listen to us in audio-only podcast format, you can do that. Uh, they're available on our website at wanderingdms.com. You can also follow, find us through various podcast carriers such as Google Podcast, iTunes, Spotify. If you're listening to us on one of those carriers, take a moment to rate and review us there. That helps other users of those podcast carriers find us, and we really appreciate it. It really does. Look forward to uh, more shows from Wandering DMs. Uh, I think we've got the full docket this week. Thursday, Paul, uh, we'll have uh, 10 Dead Rats, 8 p.m. Thursday. I will be back with uh, my partner, Isabel, for Wargaming Saturday night with, uh, with the Chainmail-inspired Book of Wargame Saturday at 8. Uh, big thanks to our patrons uh, who generously support the Wandering DMs. Uh, without your assistance, we could not get such fantastic guests uh, like Tim Cascon, like we did today. Uh, if you'd like to join our patrons, please go to patreon.com slash wanderingdms, and you'll see our different tier levels and a whole bunch of benefits like private Discord chat and uh, insider monthly videos for behind-the-scenes things and uh, DMs commentary on shows, some shows that we've streamed, uh, polls on upcoming topics for the shows and uh, blogs that Paul and I write, uh, discounts on merchandise, and also after-party chat that we have right after the Sunday shows in about 10 minutes or so. So look for us there. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. This is just really fascinating, I think, for me and a lot of viewers. And we'll really look forward to having you on again in the future. Uh, my pleasure. I love telling stories. Awesome. <laughs> They're great stories, Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Well, uh, most of them are great only because I'm the last one alive. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody We're can glad you Nobody can report me. Uh, <laughs> we we, we hope that you. You hope that we hope that you're with us for for many years, many years in the future, Tim. Me too. Invaluable, me too. invaluable experiences. Yeah. yeah. Uh, remember that uh, uh, we are live every Sunday, one p.m. Eastern time, with Wandering DMs. Um, so Paul and I will be next uh, be back next week, and we hope that you'll return to see another thought provoking discussion. We'll see you then. Bye, everyone.